Hi, and welcome to the Reclamation Project podcast. We are so glad that you're here, that you're listening, and hopefully that you are a part of the conversation. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, just trials and hardships and even uh, to the point of persecution and how we all go through those things. And God says we're going to go through those things. And, and we think it's true. And so uh, today we are going to talk about some of those trials and some of those hardships and some of those things that people just go through. And we have some special guests in today. We have Danelle and Kevin. And Gary and I have known them for many, many, many years. Uh, going 30, maybe, really? 30 for you? Mm-hmm. Wow, it's been about twenty Kevin for me. Nine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin was nine. Um, but yeah, so so we have them in to kind of tell a story uh, about um, what they've gone through in the last uh, couple of years, and that's just been through something I think a lot of people go through, and that is uh, a diagnosis of cancer and treatment, and, uh, and and just where that's led them and how how uh, they've been changed by it, and hopefully uh, the reason we're doing this is to kind of hopefully help someone else out who might be going through it um, or someone who may know someone going through a uh, cancer diagnosis. Uh, they may be able to help uh, those people navigate through those waters. And so that's why we tell these stories is, is so that we can help each other out. So if you remember, Jeremy, at the end of our persecution series, we talked about the scripture doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the actual trial. It spends a lot of time talking about our response to the trial. So we're going to hear uh, Kevin and Danelle's response to a, you know, a hard diagnosis. And this is where I think there'll be some vicarious learning out there. So with that, let's get into your story. Um, and, and just maybe the first place to start is just kind of sharing uh, about your life before the diagnosis. And you can go back as far as you'd like with that. Um, but uh, just, just telling us about a little bit about who you are, what you've what you've been through prior to this and and just kind of what your life was like at that point. We met at a really young age and dated for three years, long distance, and we knew we really, really liked each other. So we got married um, at, well, I was 19 and um, we moved from, we moved to Southern California. So Kevin was in school for three years. So again, we had a lot of distance between us because he was so busy in school and such Um, and then after he graduated we moved back to Northern California and started uh, raising our family and um, we just liked being together we were just in the midst of all that we had two young children and then uh, moved to Arizona and throughout all of that um, we would attend church and together just try to grow in our faith and Um, so that was very big to us, very important to us, raising our children in church and, and, uh, Sunday school and Awana, the whole nine yards. And then we had our third child in Arizona. And again, just the time clicked on, we, um, got them all through high school and college somehow, and all three are married now. So we're feeling good about all that. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's just the two of us again, which is good. So I've done marital counseling long enough to know that was Danelle's story, but do you agree with all that, Kevin? Like uh, the whole thing, uh, we fell in love, uh, great life. This would be a time for you to say, yes, Gary, I I believe the story. Yes. No, truly, yes. We, uh, you know, I think both from the outside and certainly from the inside, uh, as you said, and when we were talking earlier that we really did have a charmed life, you mm. know, to, to use a, uh, a strange term. 
but uh, you know there were there were problems with me in the spiritual realm of things that I didn't like church. I, you know, really, I'd rather stay home and watch football. Um, I like small groups. I lot. like football. Yeah, yeah, I like. <laughs> um, but you know, I'll, she went over the early history, so I'll sort of pick it up from there. It's, yeah. I don't think it's coincidence that when this whole thing started because it the disease it was a long it was a chronic disease that finally got to a point where it had to be addressed but when it started when we first became aware of it was exactly like to the month maybe less than a month maybe to the two weeks Hmm. that we left organized church really yes the the which had been sort of quote-unquote the church that we had gone to that I sort of was never comfortable at and watch rather watch football and it had nothing to do with one of the pastors right or either one of them. Like you weren't, I was the pastor of that church, so you weren't uncomfortable with me. This is all no. self-serving <laughs> right now. That's another story. <laughs> so, I mean, you say that, it's more than coincidence. Tell me why you, you bring up that point. It's uh, almost two weeks or a month to the point. I haven't figured that out yet, but I, one, it, Danil really changed at that time point. I mean, she really changed. So much that I could notice it. And I'm mm-hmm. the typical husband who really doesn't notice much except food <laughs> and golf. And right. yeah. uh, so I've noticed that she really changed. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me if someday God tells me, well, I needed to change her to get her ready for what her role would be. Mm. And also maybe he needed to change me, and that was part of how we were going to change. I don't know, but it's pretty funny that those two very significant events occurred at basically the same time. Yeah, and I think God can multitask. I think he could probably do those both at oh, the same easily, time. Yeah. yeah. So so because it was a chronic disease, I was fine for a long time. And I think, you know, we, we met and talked. And mm-hmm. I'd say, well, you know, the doctors don't know really when it'll get too bad or if it ever will. And I took various medications to sort of cope with it that really had no impact on me at all, that at least that I could feel. Um, but then last year, about 18 months ago now, I would say, 17 months ago. Wow. So in the early spring of 2017, um, I started not feeling good, and they started doing more blood tests and more blood tests and more blood tests. And They called me one day when I was playing golf, and uh, so I didn't answer the phone. <laughs> um, but then I called them back after the round of golf, and uh, Dr. Sprout, who wound up being the transplant surgeon that, that worked with me, told me that I needed to come and see her because it was time for a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I think God had a hand in preparing me for that, too, because I knew that was the final answer, and I'd known for about eight years. Um, So I had read upon it, and I I knew sort of what was coming, but I wasn't happy about it at all. Uh, So then, you know, sometime around the beginning of August of last year, so about a year and a month ago now, uh, I went in to start the bone marrow transplant. Mm. And if you could take just a brief second and explain maybe the uniqueness of your cancer. I'd never heard about it before. Oh. Well, the bone marrow is an amazing organ. Uh, it produces everything that's in your blood, everything. Um, and you have some just absolutely amazing things in your blood. It's mm. it's really beyond belief what the bone marrow does. Um but uh, the bone marrow also is subject to cancer. Now, the, the, the 
big working machines, the, the, the thing that does everything in the bone marrow is a stem cell. And some of my stem cells were mutated, and the mutated stem cells were taking over. Hmm. And when they do that, they, they scar the, the tissue that's in the bone marrow. If you've ever, like, uh, looked inside of a cow bone or a, even a chicken bone, if you cut it and look at it, you'll see, like, a spongy can't area. can't say in that I've done that, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like if you're out hiking, you come across... Okay, you, okay. <laughs> nice anyway, yeah. the spongy stuff inside is a marrow. Well, that can get scarred, and that's what was happening to me. Not only were the stem cells mm, malfunctioning because they, they weren't made correctly, they were mutated, uh, they were also beating up the spongy tissue around them and leaving it so it couldn't function. Um, and so it got to the point where not that the bone marrow was completely shot, but that um, the stuff it was making was either way too much or way too little. Mm. And so I wound up, as, as people with leukemia, and all these diseases are related to leukemia, uh, I had wound up with way too many white, white blood cells, like a thousand times more than you have. Wow. Um, and that's when they knew it was time. So, Danelle, I've, I've known you. We've You've helped me in the youth group, and so I was around you enough. You're a very positive, upbeat person. So tell me the, the difference between, like, eight years ago when you knew the chronic disease was there. When you heard it, I can almost hear you say, oh, we're going to beat this thing. We're going to march <laughs> right through. And then comes the, the diagnosis of this is serious. Tell me what your inner thoughts were and were they different than what your outer expressions were to him well all along I would say that really truly um, my hope and trust was in God and so I really always did feel very hopeful throughout it all and um, I thought in the beginning I thought well we have this going on it kind of I always said it just was sort of simmering on the back stove Mm. we always knew it was there but there was a quite a long period where it really didn't dominate our life and our thoughts we really uh were just plugging along with life um and then when we got the uh, news you know more than a year ago that yeah it's time for the transplant you have six weeks to get ready we got to find a donor all that stuff um yeah it really really hit me like a Mack truck and flattened me um because there was so much fear and um fear was very overwhelming so yeah so there was the being positive with Kevin um, I remember one time uh, he was telling me I don't think I'm going to have the transplant and right away I was like you have to have the transplant <laughs> <laughs> and because we were told you have it or he'll be dead in six weeks so we really were faced with this um, mm. you know this is the only thing that's going to save you uh, but his response was, I don't have to have it. And I have a good friend who actually went through something very similar to this um, who told me, you know, because I had shared that I wanted him to be open with me and talk to me because he did tend to sort of keep his feelings and thoughts to himself yeah. oftentimes. Yeah. And so I said, you have to tell me what's going on. And so she's the one that said, if you expect him to share with you his thoughts and his feelings, you can't say things like... Um, you know, you have to do this. So I, that gave me, I gave him room to say, I don't want to have the transplant. Yeah. Um, which then eventually he did get to the point where he was willing to go through it. So those were your reactions to it. You have three grown kids at this time. Uh, two married was, was just Becca married? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Becca was married at this point. Um, 
what they kind of go through? What, what were your thoughts with telling them? You know? Well, we didn't even get to tell them. They knew something was going on, but the transplant coordinator actually called each kid first which was okay oh, wow. with us. In some ways, it was even better for us yeah. because she prepared them. But the reason she called them is they needed to be tested to, for a match. Because throughout the whole world, even Kevin's four siblings were not a match. And he had to have a 100% match. So instead, they were going to go with what they call a half match um, or a haploid, um, which would be our children. Mm. So they didn't even hear it from us first what were their responses when they did talk to you at that point uh, was there was there i mean of course there's concern but but what were what were their emotions what were the things that they kind of processed through once they heard from you becca cried mm-hmm. mm. all three of them responded pretty how you much how you would think if you know the three of them sarah pretty much got on like okay where do I need to be? When, when, when do I need to do? And um, Micah was pretty much like, we'll Analytical. Get, and, yeah. we'll, and we'll yeah. get through this. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Their responses matched their personalities mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. yeah. And I so mean, they it, all cared and were hurt, but, but they all handled it in the way that fits with them, that allowed them to step into it the very best they could, Yeah, yeah I yeah. think. Yeah. And even um, the fact that the coordinator called each of them uh, individually by the time we that had taken place from our drive from Mayo at Scottsdale to home we got home to do a conference call with the three kids well they already knew so it turned out to be a very they'd already had time to process yes a little bit. and um and kind of know what was expected of them yeah. to get tested and such and um it gave us a sweet conversation the five of us wow. um we had a a sweet conversation instead of having to give the the news what, one thing that happened that was very interesting was at that point in time when we were having the teleconference with them, it had not been decided who the donor would be. It was one of those three. They all wanted to do it. Wow. What's that do to a dad's heart? Touching, huh? Yeah. And I was just wondering what – I really got to know Kevin. We sat in the backseat of a vehicle going on a mission trip to Mexico. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, with um, – the gentleman that lives up in Oregon now. Phil. Yeah. Yeah. And so we got to meet, got to talk, got to see him in a different way. And Kevin is such an analytical guy, too. In fact, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but you've ruined baseball for me. <laughs> oh, we know. So I sat next to him at a Diamondback game with his daughter, and he's like, how big is that state, that scoreboard? I go, I don't know. So they sat there and mathematically figured out how big that was. And I'm like, you've ruined baseball for me forever. So. <laughs> well, and Kevin's an engineer, too. So I know. That, yes. Yeah, I had a little bit of something to do yeah, with he it. He figured it out almost almost to the inch how, how big the screen was and I don't even know who won or lost the game but how does an analytical mind handle emotional stuff because you're going you were forced into some emotional things yeah. that uh, that kind of short wires an analytical guy so tell me about that process did you overthink or uh, did you hide emotions do you can you kind of remember how you handled everything I'll answer but I'd also like to hear Danielle's answer after oh that's great mm. I I took the engineering approach, you know. I wanted to know the statistics. I wanted to know the duration of the medications. I wanted to understand all the details. Um, but, and, and so I found them out. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. I mean, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, 
after the treatment, like, so the, the treatment, the actual treatment was pretty long. It was about six days long. Wow. Yeah. Mm-mm. Of ablative chemo. Yeah, the first set of chemo was six days and then, like, knock you out, down flat chemo. And then a couple days, maybe three days of nothing. And during that three days, they did the actual inputting of mica stem cells into my blood. Yeah. And then two more days of a special type of chemo that's designed to keep my body from rejecting. Rejecting his yeah, cell. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, after that, there's there's no analytical mind. I mean, you, yeah. you, just, you just grab and hang on. I yeah. mean, you can't think your way through anything at that point. Yeah. Nothing. Well, you're, you're Which is really hard for me because yeah. I think my way through things. It, it so. is not. It was out of your comfort zone for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the chemo is really intense, a lot more intense than than your regular bout of chemo, from from what I understood. That's mm-hmm. true. So, so it was, you know, just to give perspective to people who are listening, I mean, it it, it was really, I mean, I, I don't even know how to put it, but it it was. Well, they called it ablative. Yeah. So it's to kill everything. It was abrasive as super, anything. Super aggressive. Mm-hmm. Super, yeah. I mean, ba- basically what you do over, what is it, 10 weeks normally, you were doing in six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the, then some. People that, pa- patients that, that have long-term chemotherapy, they're getting very small doses. Yeah. And they're trying to just beat down whatever yeah. the person has and put them into remission. The doctor told me yesterday... We weren't trying to put you in remission. We were trying to kill everything and then give you new stem cells. So it's actually curative as opposed to just trying to put you in remission. Hmm. And, hmm. But that's why it's, it's brutal. I mean, it's, yeah. it's brutal. You know, when you talk about grabbing on and hanging on, uh, I remember calling both of you and asking. I'm a part of this uh, prayer team from guys around the world. Not even sure how I got introduced to it, but... I asked if I could put your name in, and we found out that, I think it was Thursdays. Was it Thursdays or Fridays? Uh, every Friday at noon, our, our time, there was close to 500 people around the world praying for you. How, how did that help your grabbing on and hanging on? Uh, <clears throat> can you share a little bit about that? So, you know, a lot of times when you work with God on something <laughs> in your life, you think, ah, that's the punchline, you know? Yeah. And then a little time goes by. Oh, no, this is the punchline. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what happened to me with respect to uh, prayer, what, how I think about prayer is the punchline, at least for right now. But yeah. I, I know it may change. But, you know, being analytical, I used to think, well, okay, someone prays for something and then it occurs. Is that causal or is that just coincidence? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, being an engineer, I always think, well, it can't be causal. I mean, the world of physics. And so <laughs> I sort of maybe had a jaded view of prayer yeah. uh, going into this. Mm. But coming out of it, and I've told Danil this, um, I don't understand how it works, but I know that it does. Yeah. Wow. And so now I really, at the time, she'd say, well, there's 300 people that prayed for you at noon today. She told me every time. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because of my state or because of what I thought about prayer previously, but I I just couldn't really wrap myself around it. Just you know, informational it, fact. Thank yeah, you. it didn't it didn't upset me, and I was very actually appreciative that people were thinking of me. Yeah, but I didn't. I don't think I understood the power. But afterwards, 
I've, I've become convinced, and this is only over the last three months, that wow. it's a system that I don't understand. I can't put it in an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even theorize about it because I have no idea how it works. But I'm convinced that it does. Yeah. I'm just convinced that it does. Uh, you just gave a perfect theological description of faith. You know, can't understand it. I just know that it's real. How did it affect you, Danelle? Was it encouraging to you? Uh, Knowing that people were praying? Yeah, even people you didn't know who didn't know your story. Sometimes people feel uh, less uh, affected when there's people just praying for They didn't even know your name, but they knew there's a, a man in Arizona. That's all some of the people right. knew around the world. Oh, it really it really touched my heart and blessed me. And, yeah, it is remarkable. when you. That's just one of the best things about believers is you know we pray for each other and people we don't know um i guess i i struggled a little when i someone would say they were praying for complete healing because i'm like well thank you for that but i thought but i don't know that that's what god has here i am hoping for that but i don't know that that's what will happen so i'm not even sure i know what that means yeah exactly i mean i think i mean think that complete healing means when we're in glory when we're with jesus you know really but yeah um, maybe that's the punchline yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but it was um remarkable yeah so off air we were talking a little bit about the changes you go through and uh you'd mentioned uh, kevin the man you knew was nothing like he was explained that uh, a little bit for us. It's like you didn't even know the man you've been married to for 29, 30 years. So. Yeah. Probably the the hardest, hardest thing for me was to be with him. And he was nothing like my Kevin at all. He did not look like him. He didn't act like him. And we were joking, but he doesn't, he did not smell like him. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, there wasn't one thing about him that was the same. And it was, it was so hard for me. What I would do is I would just look deep, deep into his eyes and just cry out to God, please let me see Kevin. Mm. Let me feel Kevin. And yeah. that's that's the only thing is is like really when I um, – our eyes is how we identify each other. I've realized that um, mm. in other circumstances, people's eyes don't change. And that was the, mm. sometimes the only lifeline um, that I would have is looking into his eyes. And we did have a couple of pictures in our house that we had taken – remarkably right before this whole ordeal started we didn't even know and they too i would look at those pictures and go that's real this isn't real this poor suffering person on the couch is this is not real yeah and that's you know you know how many married couples that are listening to this who haven't looked into each other's eyes for such a long time that maybe they wouldn't even recognize that i mean a a note to all of you married couples out there going after you hear this, put this on pause right now and go stare into your spouse's eyes somewhere really deep. And uh, It will take you to a new place. You will remember how much you love them and why you love them yeah. and who they are and what you love about them. Yeah. Uh, so, But tell me what your inner thoughts were. I mean, that, those were all the facts. He didn't look the same, smell the same, which may have may or not been a blessing. I never spent that much time smelling it before uh, what what were your inner thoughts thinking like did you have to relearn how to love someone or the eyes connected you to the old one and I didn't have to worry about all the external things no it was nothing about love it was um well and it was such an intense role I mean when they sent him home with me I was terrified I had we had over 30 drugs that I was responsible for, oh, um, you know, to, to dole out to him on a, on a schedule. And he was so frail and um, 
that I was so terrified of him falling, like, in the middle of the night and such, you know. So it was a constant vigilance of taking care of this person who had never once, he was so independent before yeah. that I, I never had to, to keep such a close eye on him. And so it was it was like having an infant, but this big, hairy, bossy <laughs> infant <laughs> to take care of. No hair. Um, no hair. No, <laughs> no, hair, no, no hair. hair. But my greatest feeling was um, that I struggled with was absolute fear. I could get so overwhelmed with fear, like I was drowning in fear. Yeah. And my greatest fear, of course, was losing him. Sure. Um, because there was never, ever one, one guarantee, you know. And um, any little sickness could take him. Any, any little thing. He yeah. could fall and hit his head. Any little thing. He was taken to such a low level that... It was terrifying. Um, and uh, well, one thing I did want to share was a vision that God gave me because he had given me a vision in the very, very beginning, 10 years ago or so, when Kevin was um, first diagnosed because of the fear. And uh, that vision, I kept trying to bring it up and it wouldn't work for me. And so, and, and I'm not meaning that in a weird way. It just, yeah. you know, it's just how God worked for me. So I just begged and pleaded, please give me something. And he gave me this verse. It's Deuteronomy thirty-three, twelve. Okay. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. And God gave me that vision because it was me getting a piggyback ride on God, and I would rest my um, head on his shoulders. Mm-hmm just like my grandkids do with me and I love when they do that because you can tell they feel so secure and comforted and so man when I would get so distressed and just feeling so so fearful I would literally in my mind climb yeah. up on God's back and hang on and rest my cheek on his shoulder blades that's and when God becomes Abba Father at that point he Abba just, Father and he was the rock and the, the yeah. foundation and and the fear would subside for a while, and um, of you know, course that, it would come back because I'm human, and yep. I'd climb off his back and say, I got this, God. And <laughs> I may have to come back to here again <laughs> really, really, really soon. Yeah, yeah. And it is perspective. Uh, Jeremy and I were talking, I think, last week in the persecution, uh, or last month in the persecution series. Uh, uh, I, you know, we both had a, a couple of bad weeks, and nothing in comparison to what you guys been through, but... In Psalm 73, he says, you know, God, my feet are slipping. Uh, I'm seeing, I mean, surely you, you bless those who are pure at heart. So what he's saying is I'm pure at heart, but I'm looking at this guy. He's mocking you, and he gets blessings. My next-door neighbors, they're not even believers, and he just got a raise in a new car, and my feet are starting to slip. And if you read the rest of the verse, he says, but I realized you're, you have me by your right hand. And so the thought is if I'm in control of the grip, I can slip away. But if he's in control of the grip, I'm really in no danger of slipping away. Do you ever get that? That's kind of where that head on the shoulders, but that's where your security of he's got this. Regardless how it turns out, he's got this. It was just complete comfort. It was um, I can just lay here and rest and and know that I'm secure in him. Um, How did you get comfort, Kevin? I mean, did was there time or as how did. I've never had, no one's ever accused me of having an analytical mind. So, <laughs> in fact, I've been accused of not having one at all. But how do, I'm thinking of a, you're such a thinker. Where do you allow yourself to just trust and, and shut down the machine a little bit? Or did you? Or can you? I don't know. 
Uh, I don't think I could through effort. Uh, hmm. I, I was so wiped out uh, that there really was no thinking about much. I mean, really, you're just sort of you're just existing there. You know, I, w- I was certainly when I would think about Danielle, I was inspired by her because I try at times I tried. You know, we talk about trying to reverse roles. Yeah. You know, we talked to each other about that. Well, think about if you were me, what you'd be going through. And we chatted about that, and I realized, wow, what she's going through, you know, all I have to do is sort of survive. She's She's got the responsibility of yeah. helping me survive, which which I think is really daunting, and the way she dealt with it is what she just described to you. Yeah. Um, so losing your independence because you were a very independent oh. guy, and now I mean, there's a sense of humility that has to oh. take over at that point in there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it that hurt a lot. Yeah, <laughs> um, a, a, a lot. Yeah, not not being able to get up the stairs or not being interested in anything. Yeah, um, seeing pictures of my former life and just not being able to relate to them at all mm. um, that that was really tough yeah yeah and uh, any moments where you're like hello god where are you oh several yeah, yeah. like walk us through one of those because i'm sure there's somebody out there listening right now is smack dead in the middle of saying well, you know help mr Wazer get me off this crazy machine here yeah i think i went back and forth between thinking well god doesn't really mean anything by this he is god and he said he loves you and he does and you can't really you know that doesn't waver and this this stuff is just temporary that you're going through but it's so heavy it's hurt so much uh you know that's and then i but then i could get myself back to well it's just it's just what it is for a while and you just sort of got to hang there yeah um but the outcome of it was um, I have a lot more empathy now yeah. than I used to. Yeah. 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 You, you, you like that about yourself? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. Um, there was a lady named Irene that we ran into at Mayo as when I was sort of on the getting better part of the curve. I think it was about March or April. And uh, I had just had some medication given to me or something. I don't remember. But I was doing pretty good. I was walking. (laughs) So, uh, and we were, I pushed the down button on the elevator and we were waiting for it because we were on the seventh floor. And then I hear this little voice behind me say, can I talk to you? And I turned around and it was Irene and her husband. And I didn't know Irene. And uh, she told me her story and uh, she'd really been through the ringer. And she was having a bone marrow transplant, but she'd had a lot of complications. And I think this was actually, it might have been her second bone marrow transplant. Mm. I'm not sure. I know she'd had treatment before and sort of gotten through it and was on getting better. And then she got sick again. And, and I just felt so bad for her. I, I had to sit down and talk to her. And uh, I still haven't forgotten her yeah. and her story. And I pray for her a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, what what's really changed inside of me uh, besides really believing that prayer is a system that works yeah and work and when I say works it's not 
what you or I or Jeremy thinks about working. Yeah. We think working creates a defined result that we're happy with, but I don't think prayer, although it works, it's a system that works, the end result is not what we think. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, Otherwise, it's all secondary, really. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's where that's another part of me that's really changed is when I see people suffering in any way, yeah. really. It doesn't have to be cancer or something, but and when today, I know they're hurting, I really feel it. Today, you get to be Irene to a lot of listeners today, so I think that's yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. There's been a lot of positivity in what uh, you guys have been. There's been about. a lot of positivity in what uh, you guys have been talking about and and uh, positive impact that this has had on on you guys. But I also know that, you know, uh, for other people, not only for other people, but I do know for you guys, uh, there's been some some setbacks, some some low points, um, some things that you've been through uh, throughout the duration of, of, of the treatment, recovery, et cetera, uh, remission. Um, so can you guys talk to some of those things, some of those things that you went through, uh, how you got through them, uh, where they brought you? Um. Well, definitely, like, we don't want this to seem like we just sailed through this because that's not the case at all. There, It was extremely difficult and frightening. Um, and then throughout the last 10 years, from Kevin's first diagnosis to then when the disease changed to four years ago to then last year finding out about the transplant, we as a family had to come together on three different occasions and pretty much do an intervention for him. Um, insisting that he get some help because he was so thoroughly um, depressed. Um, and that was very, very hard on on all of us. Um, I think it brought us closer together, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was definitely, definitely one of the harder parts of it. And then you asked also, um, I mean, we were told when he was out of got out of the hospital you know oh you'll be back and well we really did think oh no because we're going to do everything we can you know Mm -hmm. well sure enough he had to go back two different occasions and it takes you by surprise each time um the first time was pretty devastating to kevin i think and you were there what three or four more days um but then actually it just happened again in June so just a couple months ago Hmm. um, and we went just for a regular doctor's appointment thinking everything was grand um, but then she was adamant uh, his potassium was so high that she's like you are looking at dropping dead of a heart attack right this minute he wanted to just forget about it and go home but then I wouldn't let him (laughs) (laughs) where's that I mean he's doing so well and I remember you know vicariously going through this as I'm hearing it through family and and, and whatnot is Kevin's doing well, he, you know, he's tracking well, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's this kind of change in, in status. So where does that take you? What are you What are you thinking through? Uh, you know, I mean, it's an emotional roller coaster. I, I expect you know that that you're you're riding so high, and then all of a sudden the it drops out from you. The the bottom drops out. So, um, you know, what are the things that are going through your mind? What are you telling yourself? What are you thinking about during those times? Well, I think half the time, you know, you really just try to get through it. You're like, okay, what do we have to do? Um, it is one of those, we, we got, we were starting to get pretty good at expecting anything. You know, what did you used to say? It, it was, well, you, it's like you try not to have expectations, but expect anything at the same time mm-hmm. because, and and just holding everything really loosely. But we were getting onto a roll, like things were going pretty good. And then, yeah, so each, each little setback, it did, it knocked you on your butt, but then... 
what you don't really have too many choices. You just have to go through it and get back up and mm. I it, it's a great question because I remember being really mad having to go back in the hospital and having a, a really strong dislike and that's sort of putting it mildly for the doctors that were putting me there. Uh, you know, I just, I didn't want to go. How did I eventually deal with it? You know, I think I knew, I think I knew inside that the doctors were doing what they thought was right and I, I sort of needed to listen to them and, you know, put aside what I wanted. There's a lot of that along the way. You put aside what you want yeah. frequently. Yeah, humility is a hard lesson to learn. I, oh. I, I've heard from other ones that got there. I'm not quite there yet, but I've heard it's a hard, it's a yeah. hard journey. Yeah, and then as far as uh, Danilla was talking about the two or three different times over the last eight years where the family has cornered me, at least that's what it felt like to me, yeah. and, and said, hey, this, this isn't going good. you got to change what you're doing, Dad. And And, you know, they were pretty specific. They wanted me to go on antidepressants um and i didn't want to uh but i think at least in one case of the three that i can remember they were right um i'm still not <laughs> sure <laughs> i'm still not sure about the other but what i remember is that that what they they appeared to me to be mad uh or angry with me i'm not sure why hmm. um i think they were but i think they were also very concerned but i think you know that that is a problem with the analytical mind is Everything has to be explained. Yeah. You know, everything has to have an answer, a working some, answer. Sometimes that's just not the right approach. So, like in your uh, really lowest moment, did you ever make peace, either one of you or both of you, with the end result could be death? Did you come to a place of peace there? And, and how did that affect? Yeah. How did that affect moving on forward? Is that was yeah, that? I, I definitely did. And like Danelle said earlier when we were off air, there was a 20% chance of just not making it through the treatment at all. Um, and then even when you get through it and you get home, you're still in bad shape and lots of bad things can happen hmm. uh, in terms of not, not making it. And uh, you really just have to give stuff up in your mind. And that's how I made peace with it. I gave up wanting to shoot par. I gave up, you know, wanting to go hike a mountain. I gave up wanting to visit with my grandchildren. I gave all that stuff up. Or I was prepared to prepared give to, that yeah. stuff up, yeah. yeah, and and I was okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did I didn't like it, no, but I got to the point where, and you know, you get a lot of practice when you're laying on the couch for 50, 60 days in a row of giving <laughs> yeah. stuff up. I yeah. mean, you just don't do very much. And so. some of it, I give up. I don't really have a choice other than that. Yeah. You know, I get when you're telling that story, I just get that vision of, uh, uh, you know, Abraham with his son, like he's prepared to take his son's life it's and exactly yeah. what it is and that's and exactly what gave it, it up uh, yeah. what the when you came to that sense where this may be a real ending how did you make peace with that what i think well i think a lot of it was even before the six weeks before he had the transplant is probably when i wrestled with all of that um the most because i that was just so uh, you know difficult for me and then of course throughout but but when he got home from the hospital i mean i was I was in a new role of caretaker nurse, you know, like just trying to keep him alive on a daily basis that way. So I think I really went through all of that ahead of time. And I can't say I ever made peace with it. I mean, I think I flat out told God, I do not want to lose him. I understood I could. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, but yeah, I never came to like. Okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Never. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I um, I know that uh, if it came to that, God would help me get to that place. But no, I never. I was never ready to say sure. That's good with me. Yeah. And when Kevin said like he didn't understand why the family was mad at him, um, at the time he wasn't right in his mind. So he would say things like, um you would be better off without me because yeah. he really felt that no, he I... felt that he was a burden to me and and to our children and that that we would be better off without him and yeah. that's what made us so furious because but that's a person who can't see things correctly because there's no way we would be better off without him yeah. um so that's where that's why we get so adamant that this is why you need help yeah as your family stands today because we're in a good place right now as we're doing this broadcast where what, what do you think, like, the number one benefit to your family as a whole? You would mentioned that you're closer, but what, what else can you see, like, one of the positive benefits of this? Uh, we haven't figured another name, but Journey, this ride that you've been on or that you're on. Uh, like, if I was going around and ask each one of your children uh, individually what was the biggest win for them in all of this, uh, again, not fair to ask you what they would answer, but from a mom and pop's perspective, what do you think the biggest value to all of this well i think each one of them would say how much they um appreciate and love their dad now um not that they didn't before but they have a whole new love and appreciation for him it's just little things if we'll send a video about something and he happens to laugh i mean it's someone invariably would say i love dad's laugh or so they are not they don't take things for granted um i think each of them are, are much much closer and appreciative of him um, and then just on, an, on another level, Kevin and I are, we're at a whole new level. I mean, you know how God promises that he will make good out of, um, yep. of bad. Yep. We will, we're, we've almost been married 37 years wow. and yeah. Um, but our depth of love, of trust, of honesty, of communication, of, um, being absolutely real with other, each other has gone through the roof yeah and that's probably in what the last six months even mm-hmm. so this trial um has definitely brought us to the place where we are we really truly are best friends now and we just really just take care of each other and we're as different as different as people could be yeah, <laughs> yeah. but very but the, close but this trial was mm-hmm. united would you say that you agree yeah but yeah. no you asked about what what uh you know, from a father or a mother's eyes, what do we think were the wins for the yeah. our children? I would, you know, besides everything that Danelle said, I agree with. I think that they probably got a view to what eventually will happen for them one way or the other. And, your uh, mortality comes face to face with you. Yeah, bad things happen. And, yep. and so they probably learned a little bit about that without actually being the, the target of it yet. And you, I think you know our children actually pretty well yeah. because they spent a lot of time with you uh, growing up through the youth group. And so they, I think they all derived something different. You know, Sarah probably derived a little courage out of it. Yeah. Micah probably derived some data out of it that he'll use <laughs> in you know, some future instance. Yes. Uh, Becca probably learned how to cope with things that are stressful a little more than yeah. she knows how to cope now. Yeah. Yeah. But they all got something out of it, I think, positive. I mean, that's really the purpose for this story. 
there, vicarious learning is a great learning. It's I can learn a hard lesson without going through the hard, you know, event. And uh, I hope as people hear that, hear this podcast, they'll learn not only just to look in the eyes, but to learn how to live in the moment. Do you feel like you live in the moment now more than you ever did before? Like you appreciate the moment. Does it feel that way? Yes. I mean, I still plan yeah. for things that, that well, it's a family trade, I know. Yeah. No, that, that I want to do that are like, okay, yeah. next week I'll go do this. So, so you're not afraid to dream anymore. You're not letting this paralyze you and not. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So I can still think forward into, into time and think about things I'd like to do in the future. Yeah. But uh, when things happen, there's a lot more enjoyment in them. That's for sure when yeah. good things happen. Uh, you were asking earlier about things that, that have changed that I think are for better for me as well as for the children. But I think for me, like I was saying earlier, uh, empathy so I, I was thinking while Daniel was talking a little bit about how that's changed for me. And it's like I used to look at people and their troubles and think, oh, that's too bad. And if I could give a moment's help or two, I, I would, mm-hmm. or maybe more. But it never really touched me. Like, like I could, after I was done helping them, sort of brush off my hands and go on to what's next. But now I can't do that now. It's yeah. different inside. I feel different inside about what people are going through, and yeah. I want more that it gets better. Yeah, right. I want a lot more for it to get better. Than it's I a different to. feeling, but it's a rewarding feeling. And yeah, you know, we yeah. uh, we mentioned this a lot. It was our very first podcast, which we talked about reframing and reframing. Is if I change the meaning of something, I change the corresponding feeling to where one day you could say. I'm thankful for cancer because, like, no one wants to go through it. It was horrible. The journey was tough. But I learned some valuable things. Uh, so, like, if what did what did cancer teach either one of you that no other lesson could have? Uh, I mean, uh, empathy would obviously be one of them for you. But I'll start with Danelle. Because what did cancer teach you that maybe no other lesson could have taught you? Well, I would have to say for me, the thing that I've realized that I'm the most thankful and grateful for um, going through this whole um, trial with Kevin is just the depth of our relationship and and how close we've become and just a sweetness that it's brought to our relationship. And so, yes, it was a very, very, and still is, difficult, difficult time, but yet um, there's just a real sweetness to our, our friendship and relationship now that I can almost say made this worth it mm-hmm. because it's brought us to such a depth um, mm-hmm. So would I recommend it? I can't say that I would, but, <laughs> but has it been worth it? Um, I would say yes yeah. um, because of that. So, um, And then another thing that I, I just really wanted to make sure I touched on is the love and support that we received from so many people. And like Kevin had mentioned you know, a while back, that we did lo- um, leave organized church per se years ago, but we never left um, the community of believers mm-hmm. and of course we never left um, our love for God and those community of believers are what sustained us and brought us through um, and actually many of your buddies, Kevin's golf buddies who a lot aren't even believers but they showed up and in, in everyone in different ways so I guess one thing I would like to say is if you have an idea go for it. Um, we had one friend when he was in the hospital that she came by about nine at night with warm cookies and milk, like three different types of milk. And the kids and I and the grandkids 
were around the island, and it's one of the sweetest memories I have wow. of eating these warm cookies and trying all this milk. And I mean, what a blessing, mm-hmm. you know. And someone, they, um, people gave us gas cards because we were up and back to Mayo, you know, um, many cars, many day, uh, times a day. That was such a practical but good thing. Yeah. A gift card to Costco, uh, meals. A huge basket, and and I know Kevin wasn't able to appreciate a lot of this at the time because he was in the hospital, and (laughs) 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 and then um, and then even when he was at home. But people, and then praying, and um, the Mm. kind words they would say uh, um, that I really, really it meant a lot to me. Um, The the one thing that was a struggle for me was when people would share a story about somebody else because mostly I wanted to say I don't really care Correct. because <laughs> our story is our story and it's going to go the way it's going to go and I know most everybody meant it in a good way yep. um, and maybe some people would respond well but th- believe me we were told terrible stories yeah. and we were told really wonderful stories of people that have lived 19 years and whatever but I didn't care because this was Kevin's story, and we had no idea how it was going to go. Yeah. So that was, no, I, I don't know why, it but was our it, story. it was it was our story. Yeah. But um, so that was one thing I guess I wish that um, I would rather have not heard everyone's story. Yeah. No. <laughs> can, can I talk about that support thing just a little Absolutely, bit? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, if I said no, what you were still going to do <laughs> anyway. I just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, you may know that Danil has been the prime mover really behind. A group of ladies that gets together every yes. Tuesday night. Yeah. And I don't know how many years it's been, 25? No, like 15. 15 years. Lot. And I know all these ladies now because they come over to our house. It used to always be at our place. Then they started rotating and then they stayed away. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wasn't feeling very good. Now they're coming back to our house again. But even though I was pretty much out of it, I could watch these ladies taking care of Danielle. They really did. Yeah. How man, that must have made you feel good, especially when you think <clears throat> I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it did. They were, uh, they were, so yeah. loving, and yeah. <clears throat> a couple of them would come in that, that know me better because maybe I've gotten to know their husbands through this. Yeah. Um, so they'd come over and uh, they'd start talking to me and they'd tell me how good I looked and I think, I know I don't. <laughs> and they, you know, they touch me on my head. Oh, you're getting a little hair. No, I'm not. But. They were just really trying to help. Yeah. And uh, that community, you know, I know there are people out there that think, well, you know, being with other believers all the time maybe isn't necessary. Maybe I can do this by myself. But when I saw how those ladies took care of her, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Really cool. And loved you and prayed for you and still do. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts in in the first two chapters of Genesis that we were created for a relationship, you yeah. know, and that becomes quite evident in times like this. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, what's, I think what's really cool and I didn't, you know, I don't know if it always goes like this, but Danielle and her friends have cultivated these relationships with each other, with each others over the 15 yeah. or 20 years. Yeah. And when the time of need comes uh, for any of them, they all jump in. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have that with with any men where we all know each other so well, or we see each other so frequently and talk with each other so frequently that yeah. when someone's in a time of need, we all jump on it. But yeah. that's exactly what happened. 
with her. Yeah, and I, and I, I'm okay with that. I think that my one of my ideas about God is that he has us all in different places at different times for good reason. Because yeah. if we were all in the same place at the same time with respect to spiritual growth, uh, it would be really boring and we wouldn't be able to help each other. Yeah. yeah. So because she and I are in different places, we can help each other. And yeah. because oh, good she's got all these friends, they can all help each other, yeah. even though they're in different places spiritually. So That almost sounds like the Apostle is saying the body works together. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was good. Yeah. Well, Jeremy... We, I could listen to this all day long. I know I'm a little selfish when it comes up because we love Kevin and Danelle and their family. Uh, anything that left unsaid that you, a point you wanted to get across? But I hope uh, if people want to contact you, can they do that through us if they'd like to know more of your story or have some questions about, hey, I'm here, what did you do? Are you so guys sure. open? Yeah, Absolutely. Certainly. Okay. Yeah, that's one of my missions really is if someone wants help on this, if they're going through what I went through or something like yeah. it, I I'm there for them. We have yeah. a whole vat of untapped empathy here that needs to be used. <laughs> exactly. So uh, <laughs> if you're in need of some, Jeremy, how can they get a get a hold of them? And, again, guys, thank you for the vulnerability to tell the story, is, uh, both scary and powerful at the same time. You've mastered – it feels like you've mastered the grief. We uh, And somebody else gets uh, some benefit from that, too. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Definitely. Um, and – you know, so you may be listening to this podcast. You may want to know more. You may want to, uh, hopefully, you, you got something out of this and and can share it with others or apply it to your own life um, if you're going through a similar uh, situation. Uh, but if you do want to know more, if you if you do want to uh, get in touch, uh, we have a couple places you can do that uh, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash rp podcast, uh, Instagram. You can direct message us there at rp podcast and then also on twitter at the rp podcast uh if you want to re-listen to this um at any point or or share it or share it or want to uh listen to any of the previous podcasts you can always do that through our website which is www.rppodcast.com backslash podcast so um we uh enjoyed having you guys danelle and kevin thank you so much again like gary said for just being vulnerable open transparent and uh, hope hopefully that reaches someone and helps someone, and and uh, they can uh, navigate through uh, this trial the same uh, better because of it. So uh, we really do appreciate that. And uh, for those of you uh, who are listening, thank you for listening, and uh, we hope that it touched you, and we hope that it helped you, and uh, we are so glad that you listened. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. 